0: let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much that you're so good to us. And we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy, and we thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit who guides us into all truth. And Lord, we pray that you would just speak to our hearts now this morning um, just through these simple words, Lord, that they would go deep into our hearts and that you would have your way with us. Lord, you have a you have a purpose. You have a reason for bringing us here this morning. And so Lord, we do pray that that reason would be met and realized in each and every one of us as we leave this place today. So please have your way with us, Lord. Guide us and lead us in Jesus name. Amen. So if you would turn to Thess- I'm sorry, First Thessalonians chapter two. First Thessalonians chapter two. Or I think as uh, Larry the Cucumber called it, Thessalonians, wasn't it? It's been a few years. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, uh, if you weren't here last week, or if you've slept since last week, or if you slept during last week, um, the Thessalonian church was established on Paul's second missionary journey. And... Um, and I think it's significant if you would go back and look at uh, chapters 16 and 17 of Acts. We won't do that today. Um, but the context there is on Paul's second missionary journey, you've got you to appreciate the resilience of Paul. And I'm gonna, we're going to talk a little bit about this. First of all, the second journey, how does it start off? It starts off with he and Barnabas getting in an argument, right? Right. Uh, about whether or not they should take John Mark. And nobody really, uh, there's no real strong biblical conclusion about what God thought about that or who was right and who was wrong. But anyway, have it as so often happens, God works his way out. And, you know, uh, Barnabas and Mark went one way and Paul and Silas went another way. And they picked up Timothy as they went. But then they went to uh, Philippi where... Uh, they were unjustly accused of all kinds of stuff. They were beaten with rods. With rods, okay? You know, when you're... heaven forbid if you ever uh, needed to be spanked when you're a child. I doubt that it was with a rod. Um, Beaten with rods, thrown in prison into the deepest darkest dungeon, Um, and the Lord miraculously released him from that. And then uh, from there, they go to uh, Thessalonica. They're there for three weeks. Three weeks. And after three weeks, they're run out of town. Uh, They go to Berea. Then uh, they go to Athens. They split. Paul Paul splits up from Silas and Timothy at Athens. He goes to Athens by himself. They go back to Thessalonica. And then after uh, the time in Athens different commentators have different takes on it, but many would say, when Paul went from Athens to Corinth, and when you, you read about, you know, he gave this great eloquent speech to the uh, philosophers at Athens, and there just wasn't that much response, and they kind of, they didn't, they didn't like run him out of town like Philippi and Thessalonica, but they, they kind of, um, they kind of condescended him out of town. Let's just put it that way. Oh, that's very nice. You talk about, you know, resurrection from the dead, and and this new philosophy of yours, and blah, 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 blah. And by the time he goes to Corinth, he said, he told the Corinthians, when I came to you, I just decided to do nothing except just preach Christ and him crucified. Right? The simplicity of his message. But all that to say, along the way, he wrote this from Corinth. Okay? By this time, in Paul's second missionary journey, based on what I've just described to you, Would you call it a resounding success? No, thank you. Would you say Paul's on top of his game? No. Do you ever feel like maybe you're not on top of your game? Or that maybe your life, by whatever standard you choose to standardize it, is not maybe a resounding success? Is that fair? right now we have the hindsight uh, we, we have the blessing of hindsight we have the uh, how, what God thought of all this right because it's in scripture and 2,000 years later would we say Paul was on top of his game big time would we say Paul's ministry was a, a success yeah a- as God defines it right Paul accomplished what God wanted him to accomplish Right? How long did God want Paul to be in Thessalonica? It would appear He wanted him to be there for three weeks. Right? And so, perspective is everything. Anyway, so along the way, Paul's writing this letter back to the from Corinth back to the Thessalonians. This is probably his first letter that he ever wrote uh, that we have in the Scripture. Um, He gives a lot of some some history of kind of what's going on, some principles. Uh, this chapter here gives us a little bit more personal aspects of ministry. And then later on, in chapter, as we get into chapters 4 and 5 and into 2 Thessalonians, he deals more with the second coming. We've talked about that a little bit. So as we get started, let me ask you this. If you're a Christian, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, so I won't ask for a show of hands. But if you would consider yourself a Christian... Does that mean you're a minister? Raise your hand if you would call yourself a minister if you're a Christian. You ever notice this? You ask like a show of hands like this. What does this mean? It means you can't decide, right? Yeah, you're like, uh, loaded question, not loaded question. You're all ministers. You've been given... An amazing, supernatural, uh, I don't know. You've been entrusted with this stewardship of the gospel by God. How big is that? That's huge, right? And, And it's huge enough that deep down, if we're all honest with ourselves, that carries with it some responsibility. Right? You remember the, there was a, I forget the story, or I forget exactly where it's at, but so do you, so I can butcher it. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, I think it's in uh, First or Second Kings, um, uh, the city of Jerusalem, uh, it may have been Samaria, was surrounded by Syrians, I think. Help me out, anybody? Syrians, thanks. And uh, and everybody's starving to death in the city, and there's two lepers, right? And the two lepers are like, you know, if we sit here, we starve to death. If we go out there, we get killed. What the heck? Let's go out there, right? They go out there, and they realize that God had uh, basically let all the Syrians here. Uh, sounds that they thought were Egyptian uh, hoofbeats, and so they'd all skedaddle. So the city of Samaria thought they were, they were besieged by Syrians, right? And they go out and they find all that. So these two guys, I love this picture. I wish I had a video of this one. These two guys are like two lepers, right, who took a chance. They're just like plundering all the Syrian tents and all the campsites. Can you just picture them? Like, wondering what they had for dinner last night. They're sitting around walking around eating all their leftover food and putting a little gold in their pockets and all this. And these two guys, what do they say? You know know enough of the story now. What do they say? We can't just do this. We got to tell somebody. Right? We've been given, we as Christians have been given access to the plunder of heaven. We can't just like Say thanks. Right? I hope you get that. And so, let's try it again. If you're a Christian, are you a minister? Hurt your shoulder, man. Right? Okay, let's try it again. We'll, we'll, does that mean you're in the ministry? Come on. Right, Murphys, be quiet, because you know the answer to this next one. Are you in full-time ministry or part-time ministry? Wait a minute. You're all in full-time ministry? Raise your hand if you're in full-time ministry. Raise your hand if you're in part-time ministry. Don't you do that. There's no such thing. Right? What's the difference between full-time ministry as, as the church defines it? What's the difference between full-time ministry and part-time ministry? Anybody that's not a Murphy? Who signs your check? That's all that matters. I mean, that's all that doesn't even matter. That's all that dis- distinguishes full-time ministry and part-time ministry, right? If, we, if, we, if we're really honest with ourselves and we really dial it down, And if you've heard me talk for any long any period of time, you know I have four or five soapboxes, max. One of them is I can't stand that word full time ministry. Because it implies that there's such a thing as part time ministry, which doesn't exist for the Christian. Well, I'm only a mom. I hate that. So, there you go. Next week's Mother's Day. I won't cry on Mother's Day. I hate the distinction that there's like different layers of ministry. That stinks. Let's remove it from our vernacular, right? Because what do we have? We have a hierarchy. We have a hierarchy. I got to say, I got to say this. I love my Calvary Chapel heritage, but there's a little bit of a hierarchy, right? You know, if you're just a Joe in the church, you're, yeah, you're Joe. You're one of the numbers that we're running. Right? How many of you are running on Sundays? <laughs> right? We don't run anybody. Running is what they did to Paul in Thessalonica. Right? And then if you're like, you're involved. Right? What does it mean to be involved? Right? Everybody's involved. Then if you're like, next echelon, maybe you're a, on staff at a church. If you're the next echelon, you're maybe the senior pastor. And then if you are like a rock star, what are you? You're a missionary. You're a missionary. Right? What are our missionary friends? And I, I love this, that God has blessed us with uh, great missionary friends with His church. They're just a bunch of guys that serve God in a different setting so if, you're a, if you are a, a, a Christian, you're a missionary wherever you go, right? Whether you get a check from the church or whether you get a check from the parachurch organization or whether you get a check from the government or whether you get a check from the employer, it doesn't matter where you get your check from. Think about this for a second. I know I'm going off. Think about this for a second. How much weirdness, how much just absolute weirdness would go away from the church if nobody got paid for their ministry by the church? would be a lot of weirdness go away. How much weirdness would go away if we didn't have to fundraise. I get that we gotta we gotta I'm not saying we can't, I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm just saying it's 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 a bummer that we that we that it works that way sometimes. The reality is we gotta underwrite ministries and we gotta underwrite, you know, we gotta do we gotta be responsible, stewards of what we've been given, and part of what we've been given is money and all that. But it's just how much just just like imagine that that was just like off the table right we'd all say i think we'd be comfortable using the term full-time ministers right so that's a rant about full-time ministry right will anybody in the sound of my voice ever use the word part-time or full-time ministry again i'm watching I'm going to have Nate come get you. <laughs> so we're all ministers. And here's why I go off on that. This chapter is all about ministry principles. And if I don't go off on that as an, as an intro, we might be tempted to say, well, that's Paul. Or that's you. You're the pastor. Or that's like some guy. No, that's me. It's all of us, right? Because we're all in full-time ministry if we're Christians. Chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now here's the first step right there in the heels of what we just said. So often we think our ministry is not in vain because we measure it by some worldly standard. My ministry is in vain. My ministry is not significant. My ministry is not meaningful because I am just a mom or because I, you know, don't have XYZ resources. My ministry just doesn't feel significant. Paul says. Our ministry was not in vain. I described to you what his ministry was up in this point, at least the second journey, right? It seems like it was in vain in the moment. But he said it was not in vain, and Paul knew that. Paul knew that. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight says, Therefore, my br- beloved brethren, beautiful verse, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you're being faithful to what God has called you to do, Don't worry about the results. Don't worry about success. Don't worry about who's signing your paycheck. We're measured by faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 4 says, Moreover, it's required in stewards, and we are stewards of this gospel message. Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. Not successful. Not employed by the church. Faithful. So verse 2. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi as you know and now you know because we explained that we were bold in our god to speak to you the for the speak to you the gospel of god in much conflict. So here's the next principle of ministry. Number 1, we're all there. Number 2, it's not in vain if we're faithful. Number 3, Sometimes it involves some conflict, fair enough. did Paul endure conflict in in on this second journey? Yeah, Paul endured conflict everywhere he went. How do we discern god's will sometimes if we 're honest with ourselves? We discern god's will by um whether something seems peaceful, right? You know should I go eh, should I go through door number? One or door number two? Well, door number one seems more peaceable. And we'll even say, like, i got a peace about that. We'll spiritualize it, right? i got a peace about that. I don't have a peace about door number two. Aren't you glad Paul didn't go through life? Like, I don't got a peace about Philippi. We wouldn't have the letter to the Philippians. I don't have a peace about Thessalonica. We wouldn't have that letter. Paul didn't have peace. I mean, he had peace. He had the peace of the Holy Spirit, right? But sometimes we look to the, or, or let's say door number one, I don't, I, I don't have a peace about it, or door number two, whatever, and then, you know, or there's a door that's like, mm, that seems like it'll be a, a, a strategic opportunity, Right? So often, as ministers, and I'm talking to us as ministers now, we've established that, we look for strategic opportunities, right? Maybe we should just look for the leading of the Holy Spirit. God, where would you have me go? And again, I call you back to Acts chapter 16. The first part, it's it's kind of funny reading it 2,000 years later. Paul's like, eh, you know, we were going to go here, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let us. And then we were going to go there, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let us. We were going to go there, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let us. And then we got some vision of some guy in Macedonia saying, said, hey, come on over and help us. And so they did, right? That's how Paul was led. So don't look for a lack of conflict as a measure of discerning God's will. Now, we, we don't go looking for fights. We don't go looking for trouble. But don't look for absence of conflict as confirmation that you're in the will of the Lord. Does that make sense? Okay. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. So, Paul's ministry, and hopefully ours, was marked by exhortation from the right motives. He says our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness nor was it in deceit so if we're ministers that means we exhort people that means and that doesn't mean we yell at them right but as we're ministers it's our job to tell people about jesus christ right to encourage people in their walk with the lord that's exhortation but it needs to not come from error or uncleanness or in deceit right so error paul is calling truth truth. Is there some error in the narrative of our culture today? There's some error in the culture of our narrative today. I'm just going to say this out loud because I'm not viral online and because I went to medical school. Because I went to medical school, I know the difference between male and female. Thankfully, I'm not up for Supreme Court justice, right? So if somebody asks me, what's female, what's male? I could say, well, I went to medical school, right? Male has an X and a Y chromosome in every cell that contains DNA female has an x and an x chromosome in every cell that contains DNA. And there are some manifestations of those chromosomes that I would call male and female. Did I lose anybody? Right? And I want to be sensitive. I want to be so sensitive. I want to be gracious. I want to be so gracious. But I want to speak the truth. I want to be a guy that goes to my grave having spoken the truth. Paul's exhortation did not come from error. Many of you have heard me say before, my wife loves to watch the birds, right? I love to watch the birds, right? Almost a thought about it. I should have pulled it up this morning, uh, giving you a picture. We have visitors this, this week, um, first part of May in Jefferson County. Anybody know what his name is? The Rose-Breasted Grosbeak. Right? Settle down. (laughs) The Rose-Breasted Grosbeak comes to Jefferson County, at least our part of it, for a week or two in early May every year. And a small child can look out the window and say, that one's a male. He's got a red here, and he's got some, got some white here, and a bunch of other stuff all over. The female is a little more muted, right? Paul spoke exhortation that did not come from error. In a world full of error, we need to know how to graciously speak the truth. It did not also come from uncleanness. Now, we're not supposed to be perfect, but the minister, and raise your hand if you're in full-time ministry. Thank you. The minister cannot be separated from the ministry. The minister cannot be separated from the ministry. And uh, the minister needs to reflect the ministry. So uncleanness doesn't reflect that, nor in deceit. The word for deceit, the Greek word here for deceit, is the same word they use for fishing bait. That interesting? Same word they use for fishing bait, right? Like I got a little thing, it's called a rapala, looks like a little fish, right? Except it's got hooks hanging off of it, right? It's not a fish. But it looks like a fish. We have to be very careful as ministers to not practice deceit. Now, how does that work? Well, it works if I'm blatantly lying. But I think it also works if we're not careful. It also works if I try to sell a Jesus that's not really the Jesus of the Bible. We talked about this before. If I sell a pie in the sky till you die Jesus, I'm not selling the right Jesus. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to sell. Do I work on commission? We talked about this last week. No, I don't work on commission. If I try to sell a Jesus that's going to just, like, be your genie lamp Jesus, that's deceit because I know better. And any of us who have been Christian for any period of time, we know better. But as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Wow, you got to like this. We've been entrusted with the gospel. We mentioned that earlier. Isn't that incredible? We've been entrusted with the gospel. The gospel is a great treasure, eternally valuable, and we have been entrusted with it. Would you entrust you with an eternally valuable treasure? I wouldn't entrust me with an eternally valuable treasure, right? we've been entrusted. And we've been approved by God. We don't have to win the approval of men to carry out this gospel to others. So, principles of ministry, we don't have to be uh, necessarily winning the approval of men. We've been approved by God to be entrusted. And so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God. And God tests our hearts. For neither at any time do we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetous, covetousness, God is witness. And so again, you see this kind of tone. Paul used this tone a lot in 2 Corinthians, where he was basically defending himself against his critics. And he's doing that a little bit here, okay? So he's got some critics that are following him along on this second journey. And so he's kind of, you know, uh, we don't know exactly what they accused him of, but when he talks about what he's not doing, sometimes that's an indication what maybe they accused him of. Maybe they accused him of, of preaching for covetousness as a cloak, I'm sorry, as a, as a cloak for covetousness. What's a cloak for covetousness that that they're saying? Flattering words. What's flattering? When I say, oh, you're awesome, you're awesome. Now, if you're awesome, I can say you're awesome, right? But I can be, I have to be careful because I can say you're awesome. What's a cloak, by the way? What's a cloak or a coat? It's an outer garment, right? What does it do? It covers me. Fair enough? My coat covers me, simple enough. In this case, flattery, he says, can be a cloak, can be a covering, so it's not really sincerely uh, complimentary, but it's a covering for what? Covetousness. So if my coat covers me, then flattering words can sometimes be a cloak that covers uh, covers covetousness. Does that make sense? How does that work? You're awesome. You're awesome. Can I have $20? Right? Do we ever do that in the body of Christ? Do we ever do that in the ministry? Do we ever do that in the ministry? You bet we do. Got to be careful. Got to be careful. God is witness. Don't use flattering words. Now, should we be complimentary, right? Somebody's got, you know, some feature that we should that would give us an opportunity to encourage them in that feature. Is that okay? Yeah, just don't use it as a as a covering for covetousness. Don't use it. Don't don't use it as an opportunity to get something back from that person. Nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. So they don't seek, Paul didn't seek glory from men. And we know this, right? God deserves all the glory. Paul didn't deserve the glory. Does Paul get glory in the pages of history? Yeah, he does, right? But it's not the glory that goes to God, right? God gets the glory. How much weirdness would go away? You know, I said how much weirdness would go away in the ministry, in all the ministries of the world, if money weren't a factor. How much weirdness would go away if notoriety of man was not a factor? Probably more than the money, frankly. Well, why do I, you know, want to stand up here and talk to you and give you this great, eloquent Bible study? So you can say on, starts with an A. Right? Is that subtle? Do we, can, can we do that subtly sometimes? For sure. For sure. Oh, I just want to bless that guy so he'll think I'm awesome. I just want to minister to that lady so she'll think I'm awesome. I want to be all things to all men so that all men will think I'm awesome. This ministry is awesome right is it subtle is it real it's very real it's very real we're called to do what god calls us to do and we're called to do it with sincere motives paul is given the opportunity here to say our motives were right we you know we could have made demands on people because we are apostles we had that authority right is Paul had some authority in the church as an apostle, right? But he didn't, like, sort of stand on it, right? And, you know, we all have authority in different situations and and different things like that. I think of it like this. I think very, 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 very rarely should a person have to really stand on that authority, at least in, from what I see of the world. I see a small piece of the world, to be fair. But you know, I'm the husband and father of my home. Technically, since I already entered the controversy about male and female, I'll enter this one as well. Technically, that means I'm the head of the home, as, uh, uh, biblically speaking. Right? How are things going to roll at my house if I say... I'm the head of this home, and this is how it's going to be. Right? How's that work out? Man, you ever tried that? Try it with your wife. (laughs) Your kids won't get it, but your wife will say, yeah, sure. (laughs) Right? Does it work like that? No. What works better is, okay, you've been placed in a position of authority. By the way, you're under the authority of God, which means... You really shouldn't see that as like, I'm the boss. But you should see that as, wow, I've been given a responsibility that I need God's help to carry out. Right? So you're the man of the house. You know what that means? It means you're the guy that takes care of everybody else. That's what that means. You're the man or the woman in charge at work. That means you take care of everybody at work. That's quote unquote under your authority, right? That's how authority works. Paul said, "You know, we could have like made demands as apostles, but we didn't do that. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children." Now, gentleness. Do you think of Paul? If I said, "Give me five adjectives to describe Paul," before we before we read this chapter today, give me five adjectives to describe Paul. You think gentleness would have been on anybody's radar? You know what did he tell the Philippians? Let your gentleness be known to all men. Paul wants us to be famous for gentleness. Think about that. There's this balance. We've got to speak the truth in love. We've got to be willing to call a spade a spade. We need to do it with the right motives. We need to call truth, truth, and falsehood, falsehood. But we need to do it gentle, right? Galatians uh, chapter 6 verse 1 says, If anybody's caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual should restore one with a spirit of gentleness. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Are we famous for being gentle? Now, does that mean we're weak? Nope. You know, Moses was described as the meekest man on earth. Meekness is, a, is sort of a Synonym of gentleness. Moses was the meekest man on earth. Did Moses know how to call a spade a spade? Moses know how to... Did he know truth from fiction? Yeah. Yeah. So, I think gentleness is underappreciated as a part of our, the description of who we should be, right? Proverbs 15.1 says, The soft answer turns away wrath. Those things are underappreciated. We need to place a high value on gentleness. And he says gentleness as a nursing mother. Again, the nursing mother, as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, right? A nursing mother just gives to a helpless child, to a child that's otherwise helpless. That's what a nursing mother is. It's a beautiful picture of caring and nurturing to somebody that really has nothing tangible in the moment to give back. It's, It's an act of selflessness. It's a great picture for us. So affectionately, longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. So Paul's given him sort of this, in summary, If he's in a sense, he's saying he gave him the message of the gospel as well as the example of his life and the relationship of brotherhood that they shared. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Now here I underscores my rant at the beginning about full-time ministry, okay? Notice this. It's easy to overlook this. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preached to you the gospel of God. Now, most commentators take this to mean Paul worked as a day, worked by day as a tent maker, and he worked by night as a preacher. Fair enough? And why did he do that? You know, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says, you know, a minister has every right to take a salary. There's no problem with that. Again, often it makes things weird, but there's not a problem with that biblically. Okay? But Paul says, I could do that, but I chose not to. I love that picture. If a minister can choose not to, I think he's better off. Right? Now, there are some, you know, some situations where maybe the demands of, of, the, of a particular type of ministry requires so much attention there that the person can't, you know, uh, focus on uh, a money-making, a tent-making ministry, right? So that person has to be, you know, supported by the, minister, by the, by the church or by the whatever the organization is or whatever, right? There are situations like that, but again, Paul himself—I think I'd call him a full-time minister, right? He's making tents by day and he's preaching by night. I think it's a great—it's uh, a great example for us. You are witnesses, verse ten, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you. As a father does his own children. As a father does his own children. We exhorted and comforted. So again, we can exhort. We can speak the truth. But we have to do it graciously. We have to do it um, in a way that brings comfort at times. Right? But really, what he's calling for is authenticity. Authenticity. That's how a loving father trains his children. That's how Paul carried himself. That you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That you would walk worthy of God. So the goal is, now that these people, these Thessalonians are children of God, that they walk worthy of God. They'd walk like they're in the family of God. Right? Right? What does it mean to be a Christian? It means I walk like a Christian. I Does it doesn't mean I'm perfect? No, it just means it means there's a there's a walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We live like we're Christians. We live like we've been saved. We live like we have the answer to the problems of life. We live like we know the word. We live like we're following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And with that, we walk like children of God. You know, I've, told, I've said this before. You know, when we first came to town, came from Indianapolis. You know, Indianapolis is a bigger city. You can be a little more obscure in a big city, right? In a small town, a lot of kids, everybody knows everybody, right? Raise your hand if you're aware that everybody in a small town knows everybody, right? So does that affect your behavior or what you say or do at the gas station? It should. And thank God for the people that gave us this talk when we first came to town. We still, Tracy and I still talk about that, that talk. We got the talk, right? Like you get bad service at the gas station, just bite your lip. That person's third cousin is going to be right there in the front row on Sunday morning, right? After you went off on that person at the gas station, right? You know how this works? I kid you not. Well, this is a tangent, but I'm filling up my, gas my car one day at a gas station over in Kent, right? Nothing happens in Kent, right? But I'm filling up my gas station in, in, in Kent and Tracy's out there. She's somehow we're talking or whatever. She's out there. Some guy, a friend of mine, comes out. He says, is everything all right? I'm like, yeah. Why? Oh, I heard you bought a fire extinguisher at Lowe's last week. (laughs) (laughs) Which I did. I thought I bought it obscurely, right? (laughs) So anyway, so... When we came to town, we knew that that's how town works, right? And so, our kids were younger in those days, right? And I remember Tracy and I kind of having these talks like, you know, we're family, a lot of kids, you know, we go into a restaurant, right? Don't make them wish that Murphy's never come back, right? Because we were capable of that in those days, right? When we, you know, there needs to be a way that Murphy kids act. There needs to be a way the Murphys carry themselves. That's what it means to be a Murphy, right? We always gave this big talk, you know, in those days. We never give those talks anymore. But we should walk worthy of God who calls us into his kingdom and glory. Again, if we're Christians, if we've been saved, if we know the secret formula for eternal salvation, and not only that, for abundant life here on earth, right? Do we carry ourselves that way, in a way that reflects that? We need to. Does that make our problems go away, or does that pretend we don't have problems? No, it doesn't. It's just real. It's authentic. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as the word of men, But as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So how is truth defined? Truth is defined according to the word of God. Do we have a regard for the word of God that it deserves? Do we have the regard for the word of God that it deserves? If we do, it should be reflected in what we read, how we read it. Do we read it expectantly? Like, Lord, show me, give me some wisdom today from your word. Do we really believe that the word makes us complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work? If we do, then we're going we're gonna to devour it. And the truth is, I believe, and I've seen this over the years, we either believe that in our core or we don't. It's kind of like when I ask for a show of hands. We're kind of like, hmm... I think it's yeah, I think it's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to discern the thoughts and intents of in my heart. I think it's I think it's all I need to be complete, thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I I think so. Paul says that you received this word. Paul's thankful to the Thessalonians because you received this word and you welcomed it, not as the word of men, not just as our word, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Effectively works. Can I tell you this? I love my wife always said this. The Bible works. The Bible works. The Bible works. If the Bible says do this, you can set your clock by it. Now, the Bible doesn't always say, what should I have for breakfast? Right? I mean, there's principles there. But there's so much there. A soft answer turns away wrath. Something as practical as that. Can I tell you that? I have, I have seen that. A soft answer turns away wrath. I remember I used to I used to be a pretty good arguer back in the day. I was pretty proud of myself for my arguing ability. Right? you know what I noticed over the years? Soft answer. Just makes wrath melt away. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? A joyful heart is good medicine. But a broken spirit dries up the bones. You want to Google something fun? You want to Google something fun? Google the hormone oxytocin. O-X-Y-T-O-C-I-N. Free medical advice. Google oxytocin. Right? Oxytocin is a hormone. It does all kinds of good stuff. Right? You know how you you know how you get oxytocin kinda churning in your body? (laughs) Well you take a shot. No you don't. You exercise thankfulness. You hug someone. You walk in the joy of the Lord. Google this. Check me on this. Don't believe just me. There's something about it that maybe the Bible works. Maybe, and at almost 60 years old, having been a doctor since 1991, I'm starting to figure this out. Sort of. Maybe a joyful heart is good medicine. Who'd have thought? Right? The Bible is the word of God, it's not just the word of man, and it effectively works in you who believe. Take it to the bank. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus, For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they may be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, these Jewish unbelievers, they're the ones that killed the prophets. They're the ones that killed Jesus and now they're the ones that are harassing me and the thing that they're harassing me about is they don't want me to preach to Gentiles like you, Thessalonians. And guess what Thessalonians? You're going to experience the same thing from your own countrymen. Do we notice this? Again, does being a minister, does being a full-time minister exercising these principles that we're going through, does that bring a little conflict? Yes. Does it often bring conflict among our own countrymen? Yes. What did Jesus say? A prophet's not without honor, except where? In his hometown, right? Sometimes we experience that. Sometimes that's the reality of the Christian life. But we need to stay faithful. Verse 17, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. You know, there's a beautiful side effect of ministry. You guys know this. You guys know this. You experience it all the time. But the reality is, there's a beautiful side effect of ministry. You know what it is? It's relationship. It's relationship. It's relationship. When you do ministry, when you live this Christian life in the setting of the body of Christ. Sweet things happen. Right? When you take all the weirdness away, right, when you do, when we, when we do it in these simple, I mean there's nothing I've said so far that's rocket science. Right? When we do it with these just basic foundational principles that Paul is giving us, there's some sweet fellowship that happens. Is there not? There's some very sweet fellowship that happens. That's the work of the Lord. I think of some of my friends overseas. I see them once in a blue moon. But I have a deep, deep love for those guys. There's something sweet about that. My kids always tease me since I already cried. It's not even Mother's Day. My kids always tease me when David Markey comes to town. because I'll do this. I see him once every couple years, right? But there's something supernatural that happens when people pray for one another. There's something supernatural that happens when people minister together. And I covet that for each of us, right? Is it possible to come in, do your thing, sing a song or two, catch a Bible study, go out? Is it possible to do that? Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. Should I yell at you for doing that? No, because I'm gentle. but what do you miss? You miss something. I'm, I'm just being straight up now. You know, I heard the story years ago about two people walked into church. It's not a joke. Two people walked into church, and as they were leaving, somebody asked them, each of them individually, how was that? Oh, it was awesome, man. The music was just... Just uplifting and just awesome worship of the Lord. And, you know, the message was just got me right where I wanted it, where I needed it. And the Lord just did a work in my heart today, right? Next guy goes out. How was church? Yeah. Wish i sang one last song. Wish the preacher talked five minutes shorter. Nobody said hi to me. Would you say hi to that guy? Uh, nobody said hi to me. Um, and I guess I'll come back next week. They went to the same service, right? We know how that, that rolls, right? They went to the same service. And so, you know, it's a blessing to minister alongside other people bear one, another bir- one another's burdens. The Galatians tells us this. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's a beautiful privilege to bear one another's burdens. Verse 18. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, I and I, Paul, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. This is after they had a, Paul had a three-week-long relationship with these people. He's now writing from Corinth. He said, we kept wanting to go, I kept wanting to go back. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. So it was a great sort of reward of ministry, if you will, for Paul to see the Thessalonians living faithful lives. John said in 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Right? So we have to lift other others up, one another up. We get to all be involved in ministry. We do it with the right motives. We don't do it as a cloak of covetousness. But know this, we're all ministers. Notice that challenge and difficulty are a part of the Christian life and thus the Christian ministry. The best defense against accusation, and Paul was accused of various things here—is what he's defending. The best defense against accusation is not a good argument, but it's rather authenticity and integrity. I've seen this over and over and over again. I've been accused of stuff. We've all been accused of stuff. And you know, those times that I've seen when I've tried to, well, you don't understand this, what's well, it this situation, not that situation. It just always falls flat. You ever notice that? You try to defend yourself, it always just falls flat, right? You know, I think over time it, I've learned is the way the I mean, sometimes we have to call it, call truth, truth and all that, right? But by and large, if a person just continues to sort of quietly, maybe speaking with discernment when he needs to, but if he just continues to walk through life with authenticity, with integrity, and surrendering to the Lord to work it all out, I tell you this because I know that there are those of us that have I mean, everybody's got a challenged relationship, right? Somewhere or another. If you dig deep enough, you'll find one, right? Let me just encourage us authenticity, integrity, gentleness, fruit of the Spirit, trusting the Lord, walking in the Spirit. That's the best defense. And we get to be entrusted with this gospel. We get to share it with others. Sometimes there's conflict. But at the end of the day, God is God. God watches out for us. God has our back. Right? And the Bible effectively works in us who believe. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you've given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness lord you bless us above and beyond all we could ask or think and you've done that with each of us individually and lord amazingly you've entrusted us to be ministers to be full-time ministers walking through this life day by day carrying out the life that you have called us to live and you've entrusted us with the life that you've called us to live. Lord, what a great privilege and yet a great responsibility. So Lord, help us not to be overwhelmed by it. Help us to be excited about it. Lord, I pray that today you would help us to be excited about the ministry you have for us. Because Lord, I do know that sometimes it can feel like uh, it's a bit mundane or that it is in vain Lord, would you please remind your people today that our labor for you is not in vain. Our labor for you is not in vain. And so, Lord, whatever that ministry is that you have for us, please encourage us in it today and have your way with us. Help us to be steadfast, immovable, knowing that our labor is not in vain. In the Lord. Thank you for the privilege of living this life. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have an awesome, awesome week.